We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Wednesday afternoon after the Timberwolves lost on Tuesday night in New Orleans to the Pelicans. It was the 41st game of the season. So I have Britt Robson here of MinPost, who today just wrote a kind of midseason report on where these Wolves sit. 41 games in this season. It's obviously something we've talked about extensively over the course of this year that this team has developed an identity that is kind of the exact opposite of of what we anticipated coming into this season. A very strong defensive team, an underwhelming offensive team. And as I was reading your piece and knowing you, uh, the the one thing that, that stood out to me that we've also talked about previously is that you said that this is your favorite team that you've covered since the 2003-2004 Timberwolves. Kevin Garnett go to the Western Conference Finals. I spent some time yesterday just going through historically looking at the the record of teams over the year, halfway point, the other halfway, like the first half versus the second half, and sure. also just where they ranked in terms of defensive rating. And your favoriteness chart directly correlates to how good the team is in defensive rating. The best defensive team over the past, what would that be, 18 years? was the 0304 Timberwolves and this is the second best defensive Timberwolves team in that stretch of time. So I guess and my, even more fun defensively. Well, that's I my mean, the, that's the my way question they to you. Play defense. Is it is it something more that makes you like this team as much as you do than the fact that they're just simply good at defense? Yes. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I I love teams that ambush people. I love teams that just go out there and uh, attack. Um, some of my favorite teams, you know, like had Doug Christie of the Kings playing for Adelman or Mookie Blaylock and uh, the dude from uh, Las Vegas in the backcourt together for Atlanta. Uh, you know, just some really, really uh, fun lock them up guys. And, you know, some of that was growing up with Bill Russell and the Celtics and then having the team I cover at an impressionable age be Kevin Garnett and the Wolves. Um, but I love teams that at least have one guy 
that you just say can hardly wait to see how he fares against you know mm. x right and uh what this team does is um everybody is attuned to the idea that not only are they going to try to get a stop but they're going to make that stop be two points for their side and um you could just see people itching to run out when there's a loose ball in the works in fact yeah. sometimes Guys are over the half court line when the other team is retrieving their own, uh, you know, fumble. And so, you know, it, it kind of costs them a bit. But I love that uh, anticipatory ambush quality. Unfortunately, it makes the 18th rated offense look even worse because so much of what they get is not a set half court play. It's off an offensive rebound or off a turnover. I know it makes the offense, the bad offense this season or <laughs> underwhelming offense this season look even worse because they're getting, they're getting so many free exactly. points from the defense. Exactly. exactly. And now what do we have? We have uh, the new offensive star is Jared Vanderbilt. <laughs> I mean, you know, the guy who was, who was like appreciably buttress the offense now in fairness you know D'Lo is hitting his shot and that's a big plus and Jalen Noel has emerged with some confidence and and the handle and actually has begun to be a threat recognizing when people are on him and getting the ball to the right people uh, I think both of those are really good signs for the offense but when it comes to you know, one of my other points of the piece is standing pat. I think about the way Noel and Vanderbilt were regarded. It was less than three months ago. I mean, you know, three months ago, it was right. But er, early uh, well, Vanderbilt just signed a four million dollar contract a year. The, this so he <laughs> clearly did not have much clout in in the eyes of the and league. Noel is is just off a two way, isn't he? Well, I mean, you know, it's just no. I mean, he. He's been on the team, but at one of those second round rookie near minimum deals. But I, I think to your point, like I, I remember I remember sitting at a game with uh, Krasinski, you know, probably a month and a half ago. And, you know, we're watching we're watching these guys warm up and, and Jalen Noel comes out there. And I said to John, I was like, man, do you think he's going to do you think they're going to keep him on the team this year? Because Noel had a non-guaranteed contract that just guaranteed this week. And I was I was at the point when I was talking to John, and this is before Noel's cracked rotation all where I was like, sure. honestly, I think they'll probably waive him because it'll open up a roster spot for the deadline. It'll create another like million dollars of space under the tax, which I mean, those are kind of small potatoes. But at the same time, Jalen Noel had rendered no potatoes at all. And high nutrition small potatoes <laughs> is what feeds. Yeah. A championship caliber team. I mean, you. Well, look well, let's every... let's let's clarify here that you don't think this is a championship oh, no, I don't, caliber don't, team. No, but I, that's, I, I, I know what you're talking about. I think they have some of the ingredients. The only way you get those ingredients is when you're smart and patient with your personnel, and you have to be smart and patient with the right personnel, obviously. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a big waste of time. But I have been impressed. I've, I've been much more of a defender of Gerson Rosas's tenure than I think most people have. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that is that I liked the roster he had built coming in. And I liked his choice of Chris Finch the more I saw him. Okay, and so hold on. I, okay. I agree that you liked and we liked the Chris Finch hiring, but I think 
we're kind of talking out of both sides of our mouth if we're saying we like the roster because coming into the season, we did that big three-part preview position by position with this yeah, team. I remember it. And, right. and we were we were hard on the construction of the roster. You were more hard on it than I was. That, that's fair. Not naturally. You hated remember. you hated the you hated the front court. I mean, I, you I know, did. And, and, yeah. and 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 not unreasonably so. Well, it I, didn't exist. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's and, yeah. but see, that's my point is that people who want to pounce on the next, you know, and undeniably there are some really attractive players out there right now, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I am not saying that Ben Simmons between Anthony Edwards and and Cat uh, wouldn't be worth sacrificing D'Lo and Vanderbilt and McDaniel's potentially, but that's a big breath you have to draw, and you also have to consider what the fallout of that is. Mm-hmm. Is Ben Simmons going to be Jimmy Butler too? Is he going to hate it here? Is he going to want to be out of here? Uh, he's already like cancer along around the league. I mean, it isn't like the guy can hurt his value anymore by demanding to be in a place he really wants to be all of a sudden. And so, and then you have the situation where all these things you have to replace him with. And is he going to have come out of this trauma, the same player he was, you know, a week or two before he got into that trauma. All those are, are really important questions. Yeah, I, I and, think for me with with the Simmons thing, I, I was I was generally, you know, into it as we were, were talking about it uh this offseason before before really the Simmons stuff had had come to the head. And I guess as we're just talking about things we were wrong about, I mean, that that would probably be one of them for me too. My logic was obviously. I really liked what Ben Simmons could bring defensively. I've thought so much about, I think a big part of the reason, not to take away from Joel Embiid, but a big part of the reason why Joel Embiid has been such a good defender in his career is playing alongside Ben Simmons. And, you know, and I'm in my head, think about the Wolves just trying to find, you know, copy paste replacements for that. And I'm like, okay, well, if you do trade for Simmons, you instantly boost your defense, which has already organically happened. But I thought that would be a major win. And then, two, I kind of liked the like the unscripted potential path with Ben Simmons, which was that the Wolves would pay up to get him and and they would bring him into the cat and ant core, potentially D'Lo if he was still there. But that you kind of, again, had two paths, even from that point, where, mm-hmm. where I think... Cat could request a trade, or you could trade Cat again and now have this Ant and Ben Simmons core, which was kind of attractive to me, plus the load of assets that you would get for Cat. That was what I kind of like coming into the season. I think so little of that makes sense now, given what we've seen from this team, given how we've seen Simmons's cancer sort of metastasize here. But given the time in which you thought it, it made sense, and it would not have been a terrible deal at the time. Nobody knows. This is the thing about all this stuff. Nobody knows whether Vanderbilt, Noel, if they happen to go in the trade, or you know whether they would have uh, blossomed the way they blossomed, or whether um, Finch and Simmons would be on the same page. Uh, 
nobody know, really knows how uh, Cat would have responded to all that, uh, given the fact totally. that Cat kind of remains the alpha star on this team right now, even with Ant there. It's, you know, everybody I would imagine thinks it's somewhat of a matter of time, but it's still a place where Cat can logically present himself as the the fulcrum and, and star of this team. And I think that's important as he begins to flex himself on offense and do a lot of the dirty work on defense that he wasn't doing before. Um, so my whole point with the idea of standing pat, which I know I'm kind of jumping ahead in the column idea, but um, is that there are unintended circumstances that look a lot more exciting when your team is spinning its wheels and has a history of just sucking out loud. Mm -hmm. um, both of those things are less true now than they were three months ago. Now, somebody might say, and it's not unreasonable. I mean, I've covered this team since 1990. I know what dashed promises look like, that this might be a boomlet of, of good things. The margin of error on this team's defense is still kind of remarkably thin it is a constant gamble and if they run into the right combination of outside shooting physicality and competent pick and roll there are offenses that can make mincemeat out of this team that atlanta uh, cleveland utah stretch a month ago was and, and what was good about that was it Finch, Finch's response was not a fetal position, it was the opposite. I mean, Finch just expanded all that shit further out onto the perimeter to some extent and began to, uh, you know, not necessarily, began to think that drop coverage, you know, is something to maybe even use less. Right, burn uh, it. So, you know, I mean, those kinds of, uh, what's funny is that, you know, Finch's favorite word to, to laud others is fearless. And Finch is fearless. I mean, it's uh, he's not afraid. I mean, that defense, in retrospect especially, <laughs> was an incredible gamble. If you don't have both Delo and Cat buying into that, um, right. it's going to be awful. Well, you know. And to kind of, again, we're, we're looking back at what we were thinking at at the beginning of the season versus what we think now at the halfway point of the season. And we dedicated a whole episode to, to talking about this new defense before the year and it's just always I, I always like this activity of like what I thought versus what you know what played out and right I was certainly and have been I guess quite honestly for years been pretty much pounding the table that the way that they, the wolves have been using cat did not make sense and right and that a change was necessary so I was eager to see change in in defensive scheme but also believe that this was was super audacious to to put this in, and I think you just nailed it with the the having Cat and D'Lo buy into it part. Had, particularly D'Lo has been the biggest thing. It's I thought I thought they'd suck at defense for the first month of the season, and and then I did think they'd kind of get into a rhythm of being, you know, decent. Maybe there would even be a month or two stretch where they're an above average defensive team, but I didn't think. I thought the times that they'd be a top 10 defense would be blips, not right. not sustain. And and that's kind of a proof that the audacity was like maybe a little less audacious than we thought. And 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 certainly has well, right has out of the gate. I mean, it's crazy that right out of the gate, they began turning people over and just routing teams. And some of that, of course, is that 
teams hadn't gotten settled. Their early slate of games were a lot of, you know, not very good teams, very young teams. But man, think about think about even the first preseason game. You remember that? Right. I, I With remember Kogi blocking a shot. Yeah, Kogi blocking the shot as a low man, but also <laughs> I what I focused on in my post-game pod after that first preseason game was Ant. And I was right. like, Yeah, I was very like, much aware. This is this is so different than what we saw from Ant a season ago. And again, in retrospect, I think that was the first breadcrumb where you were like, huh, maybe there is something more here because it did the culmination, the, the sum of their parts of Cat, D'Lo, and Ant defensively was not great coming in the year. It was very small Awful. pile. <laughs> and right. so we knew they had to be greater than the sum of their parts. And credit to them, each individually, I think they've, they've, raised their stock and so that pile of them is bigger than anticipated but also at least among the three but you you have to give it to him because he's young and he has less at stake but i mean there are still times when Ant checks out well last night first half (laughs) (laughs) but i mean the whole first half of last season ant was checked out defensively i couldn't agree more right you know so so i guess it always it always ant has been a better defender pretty much since chris finch got here a year ago and that was when we right. started seeing scheme tweaks and kind of Finch's unchaining of of these right. guys right. To, to scramble around defensively. But proactive instead of reactive is such a big difference with this team. Mm-hmm. And Cat, I think Cat specifically, there's there's <laughs> drop coverage exposes your ability to be proactive and right. or inability in in Cat's case. Right. So so right. yeah, I mean just just brilliant to limit those situations as much as you can to say, get out there, high wall, get your ass back. Like, and, and let the other dudes on the back end take care of it. Like Jared Vanderbilt has Josh Kogi, as we mentioned when he's been out there, like they get how to run this scheme and they do. And that's why it hasn't been as audacious as I, as I thought it would be. And what's crazy is Finch knew it. Like a long time ago. He knew it this summer. Mm. I mean, I, I had that, you know, 75-minute interview with him. The, the, like within an hour of <laughs> Joseph Blair saying he was going to Washington. Fitch had to know that. Mm-hmm. And he was totally unconcerned. I mean, he was not absent-minded. And then later when I asked him about, you know, uh, that whole thing, how, you know, how the adjustment from Blair to uh, – uh, Elston Turner, and he he made a, a noted passing that you know Blair probably likes switching more than I did anyway, and Turner is going to be fine. And then I talked to Turner, he goes, "Hey, whatever Chris Finch wants is what we're going to do." Right. I mean, then I began to think Chris Finch had this defense all along. Whoever was going to be the quote unquote defensive coordinator was going to take marching orders. Um, Right. And so, you know, and, and I had that filed in my mind in case the defense collapsed. I was going to blame Fitch for it rather than the coordinators. And since it did the opposite, you know, you got to credit him for that. You know, no, you, you certainly do. As we're at the, the halfway point of the year, the, the cleaning the glass metrics have the Wolves ninth in defensive rating. At the, yeah, that's because of that crunch time. I mean, that garbage time against Houston, they they gave up a ton of points. And right. they're 11th in the NBA.com. So. Yeah, that's why we got to get those out of there. 
Um, all right, Brett, let's take a quick break and uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, last night in New Orleans specifically. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20by20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost. Uh, just kind of taking stock of where the Timberwolves are here officially at the halfway point of the season. 20 and 21, uh, Britt, as I was, kind, I kind of anticipated they would win that game. And so you start looking at this team of, oh, they're over 500, you know, for the the, the first time uh, since the Jimmy Butler year and previously since right. that, the 2011-12 year was the last time they were over 500 right. at, the, at the halfway mark of the year. I know it's only one game, but it, it's funny to to look at it now at 20 and 21 and the comparison or the, the, the closest team to that is not the Jimmy Butler year. It's the year that Tibbs got fired. The Wolves were 19 mm-hmm. and 21 when... When Tibbs got fired, Ryan comes in, wins his first game. It's the 41st game of the year. So they're 20 and 21 at the halfway point of the year. And, you know, in high, you know, years removed from that, you think of that year as a as a massive sort of disappointment and everything that the crumbling it signaled. And right. it's it's funny to sit here today, also at 20 and 21, and be like, the wolves are on the up and up, man. <laughs> they're coming, like. I don't know. Ultimately, this is still a a below 500 team that has a tendency to have mental lapses, to not bring it particularly against inferior opponents. Last night was the second time they've done that against the Pelicans this year where they just weren't awake uh, to, to start the game. You're, you're, you're disagreeing with me here. Well, I, I am because I think that New Orleans is a tough matchup because of Alan Tunis. And because they have guys with a little bit of swagger, I think teams that play hard and play physical and have a brawny big in the paint who's not unskilled. I mean, I'm not saying Valanciunas is balletic, but I do think um, he can get things that a lot of bigs can't. I I happen to think he's a better center than Steven Adams, who I think is a, a mm-hmm. similar prototype, but less skilled. Um, and so I thought the Timberwolves attitudinally, it was a trap game. I don't know how you stay sharp, just kicking OKC's ass and then going down to Houston and totally waxing Houston and then coming and playing a team that has a marginally better record and is like 
11 and 10 over their, you know, were 11 yeah. and 10 over their last 21. Uh, and, and, you know, I think Willie Green is a good coach. I think uh, he's got guys that are really working, you know, well, I think Josh Hart has always been an admirable player. Um, so the point I'm making is you're coming in trying to stay mentally sharp, but, but having that lolly, you know, you had like three or four lollipops and, and you're not, your taste for combat is really not quite the same. And so, and then, you know, you have this weirdness that you actually, I love the fact that uh, you write down the rotation schedules every single game so that you know exactly what's happening. And you nail all these little weird things that happen to the rotation in the first half. In addition to the fact that Pat Beverly, as happened when he came back from COVID, he was just a shell of himself in that right. game. He was not playing well. And then Noel goes down with an ankle, uh, which gets rid of, you know, I, I talked to Finch before the game about Noel's point guard minutes. I really do see how Finch wants to like essentially create a roster spot by having Noel be the second unit point guard, uh, you know, and, and as much as he likes J-Mac, I think it could be the demise of J-Mac so yeah. that they can get, get somebody else out there. And so not having that, and not having Beverly, all of a sudden your point guard situation gets really weird. And there was a couple of other things. You yeah, know. there was the other one that stood out to me was that they went long with Cat. Um, he played the whole first quarter, which which led to given that the Pelicans sub Valanciunas out early, he's like one of their first subs. So Valanciunas comes right. in at the start of the second quarter, which that didn't sync up well for the Wolves because that meant that Nas had to play the first six minutes of the second quarter against Valanciunas. And, you know, that I, I agree with you. Valanciunas with McDaniels a, at the four. Yeah, McDaniels. I mean, well, enough that it was McDaniels, such a Kogi. I know. Well, a Kogi, I mean, a Kogi, a Kogi helping on Valanciunas is a foul waiting to happen. Right. And I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. It, it, it's but, where, it's where, like, I think the Wolves in the, they leave the first quarter being like, oh, shit, we weren't awake for that first quarter. And it's like, I haven't scored at all. It disappeared, right. You know, and and you were like, okay, we want to wake up for the second quarter. But Cat's off the floor. Nas is guarding the other teams. And I don't Noel know, goes play. down. And, and, you know, Noel goes down. So they, I think why last night's game, what I think it was a little more discouraging than what you described there. But other side of the coin they did scrap their way back and, and the close to the game was they, they understood that they came into that game lazy and started reeling to try and bring that back, not just completely letting go of the rope. They grabbed it too late, but I do think part of the reason why it slipped was that Beverly was on that minutes restriction. Noel gets hurt and the Nas Valanciunas thing just did not work at all in, in the second quarter. And, and, I do think that Pat Bev is just given so much leeway on the team that when he is bad, it's a contagion. It's uh, I mean, not so much. Uh, he takes the ball out of Delos hands too often when he wants to get himself going. Um, he makes questionable decisions. Pat Bev is plays with arrogant confidence and, most of the time it's deserved 
But when he doesn't have it, he pushes even harder to try to get it. And the, and the mess becomes wider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the Wolves suffered from that quite a bit. The floaters are the, I, are the example of that, I think, offensively. But also there were a couple of times where he made some passes that were not, mm-hmm. you know, him. And Ant has been doing that more and more, too, where Ant uh, fashions himself as a good passer. But he occasionally gets lazy with it. And then we can't deny that yet again, Valanchunas and the refs conspired to get in the cat's head. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and it really, you know, it screwed him up for a while. He began to. Uh, uh, but again, Brent, he, he responded well. He did. I'm, I'm with you just as frustrated. As he, came, as, as he yeah. came in the third and fourth quarters, he did write himself and, mm-hmm. and began to do that. But I also think that there were some times. I don't know. I mean, I, I think what kept him, obviously, it could have been a blowout. If it wasn't for Malik Beasley mm-hmm. and uh, Ant, I mean, who just went off, they they rained threes on those guys, right? And and Thought I Beasley do think that great. It, and and if Pat Beverly had been on his game, um, you know, I think a few of those Devontae Graham threes would not have happened. That's mm-hmm. the kind of guy that uh, that uh, Beverly snuffs sure. um, when he's on. And Graham didn't make a lot of threes, but he made some important ones. Yeah, so I guess we we leave that game somewhat underwhelmed, but also not sort of devastated. It wasn't one of those games where, which have happened this year, where they lose by 30, you know. It wasn't the Knicks. It mm-hmm. wasn't Charlotte. Charlotte. I mean, th- yeah. there's a few games I can think of. But even the Knicks, though. The Knicks was just an awful game. The Knicks, the Knicks were terrible in that yeah, game. Yeah, that was also a COVID game for the Wolves, though. I think Charlotte's the better yeah, example yeah, here. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, but the point being, New Orleans beat this team fair and square in game three of the season. I mean, yeah. they pounded them. And they pounded them last night. Josh Hart was an irritant. You know, mm-hmm. um, well, and, and just Brandon Ingram, he can play. I mean, Brand, Brandon Ingram found himself. He had had a couple of bad games. Uh, and and here's a, uh, actually a really important thing is Vando had a weird night. Uh, True. Vando is so often a trendsetter for this defense. And uh, he started like a house on fire. He had like three dunks in five minutes or something. And then, uh, yeah. They sussed, they sussed him out and they began, you know, they began to beat well, him up. It wasn't just a way to work out. It was like he got those three dunks in the first half on, I think all three were fast breaks Leaks. off of leaks. Yeah. yeah. Off of generating the, the turnovers. So it is like when the wolves aren't generating a ton of turnovers, Vanderbilt is going to be scoring less really his only other way to score then is offensive rebounding. Cutting. Well, yeah, we're seeing a little bit more of that. I mean, I I do think and Vander- pick and rolls, but it, it still is. I, I was I was looking at it on synergy, and this is before last night, so I don't know. Maybe he had one more pick and roll shot last night, but he'd only taken eighteen shots out of pick and rolls this season. In but I bet you eleven or twelve of them have been in the, since he came back from right. COVID. True, true. It's it's. I, I guess my my bigger point is. In the half court, his offensive role is still is growing, but still small. I agree. There's there's not a lot I, cut out there for him. I do think, and I'm I'm just throwing this out there because it's occurring to me now. Finch is retooling this offense on the down low. 
I mean, he is yeah. uh, trying to figure out a way to get them out of some bad patterns. Um, they still take way too many threes relative to their effectiveness. Well, and he, and he just think, knows that they suck in the half court. That That's yeah, just as I'm much as it's a fact. Going. Yeah, yeah. If, if they're a good defensive team, right. which they're we're agreeing with, they are, they are right. a, I mean, a borderline terrible offensive team in, in the half court. I think they're 25th in, in possessions that, Happened in the half court. And like, yes, this team runs a lot, but still it's something like 76, 77% of their possessions are played in half court settings. So right. Finch better be low key trying to, to switch that up because I mean, because the talent is there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I they, mean, they feel like they're trying to be the nets and they're just not. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> for sure. Right. What did you think? Uh, I, I know you weren't on the call last night because you had to get up early to write, but did you go back and watch uh, the post-game presser from last night? I went only Finch. Hmm. I read the quotes from everybody else. From Cat? Yeah. I know. Uh, it's just bizarre, man. Uh, and hey, and after, I, think I he, thought a good game from him, too. It's like, what are you, what are you talking he, about? Well, he wants to be um, a no-nonsense leader in word as well as deed. And I think that he doesn't know how to sync up the two. He, I mean, when he does it indeed in a certain way, like as we talked about the third and fourth quarter toughening up, um, he could have taken a position that wasn't so canned. You know, sometimes he has that canned approach of, you know. Well, He's literally copying things that have been said before. You know, he he's in his press conference last night. He you mean the fatted? Uh... No, the fatted pig thing was just weird. But like okay. he talked, he, you know, he said, you know, we needed to lock in. You know, we need to lock the F in. Right, and, right, and that's right, exactly right. what Anthony Edwards said after the Pelicans lost, you know, three games into the season, which got right. Edwards a lot of like credit as, you know, stepping up as a leader. He said the never too high, never too low sort of thing, which is what D'Angelo Russell said on his on-court interview with, with Katie Storm after they beat the, the 76ers. And he also just like switches his tone sometimes. And, and last night he said, we need to win more than four games in a winning streak. Not four, not five, not six. That's the LeBron line. I mean, it's all these bullet points he has in his head of things that have been said before. I don't know if that... that the LeBron, not four, not five, not six one. I that didn't age well, but he just he uses them. And it's it's such an odd insight into his brain uh, that really messes with the way that I think I am able to analyze him as a basketball player. It's tough. It's, it's hard for me. See, but I think some things are very revealing of him. And some things you could just put under the blanket of, can this work? You know, I think he he literally like tries out things. Um, we both know that. Yeah, don't like that. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> um, this is a tricky. I, I this is a tri tricky topic. It's a tricky topic. I exactly because um, there are ways in which cat is inauthentic. And, and it, it stands in sharp contrast 
to Ant, who, while he has some shtick about him, especially when he's claiming he could be the best at anything or claiming that every teammate is the best ever or whatever. But when he talks about the game, there's usually some real authentic insight into that. And there's not as much like blanket cliche, uh, conventional wisdom type things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know if Cat allows himself to be really revelatory about what he really feels and thinks. Um, And as a result, I'm trying to not get triggered as much by things that I think are bullshit. And, and you know what? Same with Chris Finch. And, and I think, I think if he were here, a third person on this call right now, he would be saying Dane's point is dumb. You know, you're overreacting. You're all this and that. All, all I care about as the coach of this team is, can he play at a star level? Which, uh, which obviously in terms of statistics, Cat is. That, that's undeniable. Has been. And in terms of role. I mean, he really is. You take the quote unquote big fella out of the equation and you're, you know, you're going to be a, sure. you know, you're going to be a under 400 winning percentage on this roster. Absolutely. I, that's accurate. It, it It's just moments like that, that last night. And it's moments like the stray voltage. It's moments like the offensive fouling. It's moments like the technicals that if I were a head coach or if I was the GM of a team, I would really need to dig deep to rewire myself to not let that make me want to build my team in a different direction. Uh-huh. But you have, that's why you bring in a Pat Bev. And that's why uh, you do have a culture of team accountability is definitely something. One of the things I've noticed about Finch that I think is interesting, speaking of bullshit, is that his statement of initial opinions about somebody before a player has had a chance to prove himself one way or another, Finch will overpraise him. Think of the way he talked about Balmero. He could be playing now. We just don't have the minutes for him, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, he says that about a lot of guys when you get the first read on him, you know, you, if you want to know what the coach thinks of a player, that is the time when Finch does not even see the bus, you know, let alone throw him under the bus. He's busy, mm-hmm. you know, pumping this guy up. And then if it doesn't work out, you know, um, then you have a situation. I mean, he desperately wants Torian Prince to be something that he hasn't been able to be thus far this season. He's obviously disappointed in Okogi's uh, one way. He hasn't been able to turn Okogi into a two-way player at all. Um, and given the fact that the team needs offense more than defense now, that's damning to Okogi as, as fun and as interesting as he is in some respects. Um, but all of these guys, they get their shot. Malik Beasley 
he, he, he pulled the plug on Beasley in favor of Noel only after it in a situation where it was just obvious that that had to happen. And, and so I guess what I'm saying is he's accountable, but the way his accountability works is he gives players enough rope to hang themselves mm. and then doesn't comment when the body gets dragged away. He just points to a new guy, you know? Right. And so, you know, I think that's a, that's a good way for him to work. And I also think I agree that with works that. really, I agree with that. That, that works really well with cat too, because cat doesn't need Tibbs ripping him or doesn't need overtly, uh, he doesn't need the friendship aspect that that the cat had with Ryan. Um, this is a different kind of deal. I think it's really revealing that um, D'Lo just absolutely loves Finch, and D'Lo and Cat are close. And D'Lo and Ryan, it's no secret, really didn't get along. And D'Lo and Cat were close, but Ryan and Cat were close. So there's all these interior dynamics. And you can, you know, you could look at the roster and you could see Finch has his favorites. Jaden McDaniels is getting way more time and way more chances than other people of that performance level are getting. And when McDaniels does good things, Finch is right there to point them out. When McDaniels doesn't do good things, Finch doesn't pay attention to it. Now that's because Finch really does believe that McDaniels is going to be special. Right. And, and quite frankly, that's one of the things that keeps my faith in him going because I think he's had a bad year. I mean, I think he's been a pretty good defender when he's been able to stay on the court, but his offense is way overrated in Finch's eyes. You know, in my, my view. Yeah. Uh, it's aspirational. Totally aspirational. And I got to tell you, if McDaniels was lined up for an open three, uh, I wince, you know, I just don't think it's going in. Yeah. And so that's, a, you know, as a guy who is supposed to be a big piece on this team, you know, that's a factor that that's something where maybe, you know, maybe it's all going to come out in the wash and Finch is going to be right. Uh, Finch has had the presence of mind to put him in the second unit most of the time. And, acknowledges that Bando is clearly the guy, but you do have this in, you know, there are, it's a team full of internal dynamics, but yet another reason why I do not want it to be shaken up at the trade deadline is because it is a unit that has a buoyancy about it has a, you know, Delo described it actually in answer one of your questions about uh, how happy he was and how how well everybody gets along basketball aside, which is always kind of revealing to some extent that that can happen. It isn't a, it isn't a friendship of convenience. It's a real friendship. It isn't just that they all share an office. It's that they like each other. And I think Finch has helped with that. And I think Finch's schemes, improving the team, especially on defense has helped with that. You know, D'Lo and Kat can kind of take a breath in terms of not hearing you know, sideways every other day, how bad they are for, you know, for the health of a team, you know, Um, these are all positive things. And this is all part of why this Timberwolves season is a happy season. Let's, uh, 
let's pause on that because I think that's a good segue into the into the trade deadline because I want to I do want to hit on your rationale for for this team standing pats. We'll take a break and be back with Britt here in a second. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost. Again, taking stock of where the Minnesota Timberwolves are at the halfway point of the season. Kind of the next marker in this year will be the trade deadline coming up in, I think it's, is it February 10th? About a, a month from today. Yep. Um, it is a time, I guess, typically what we've become accustomed to with mostly losing teams over the past few years where you're wondering if the Wolves can bring back a couple second round picks for a player who's not in the long-term future, maybe even a first round pick if it's someone like Robert Covington. Uh, I think it's important as we enter this trade deadline to understand that we kind of need to come into this with a, a slightly different mentality purely because this team is operating in a different space in terms of wins and losses and where they are on their growth chart than where they have been uh, previously, which I think leads to the logical and natural view that standing pat or being minimalist at the trade deadline is is something that that makes sense for this this team to do. I'm not sure that's what will happen, but why don't you make the case for why why standing pat here makes the most sense? Well, I think I have been making the case, but I can be a little more succinct about it. I think that it, it is a young team that is developing players at an impressive rate. It has a core of both established veterans and burgeoning players who one is widely acknowledged to be a star in the making in Edwards um, and others like uh McDaniels, Noel, and Vando are players that you can foresee being part of a complementary core of players that fill 
like the fifth through eighth slots on a really good contending team. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that's aspirational too. That's not happening yet, but with the possible exception of Vando. But I think that Chris Finch has only been on the job literally less than a calendar year. Um, The team has been playing under his precepts for less than three months and the expectations versus the reality are for a great change greater right they are a better team than we thought they would be yes the offense isn't very good but that doesn't seem to be a function of personnel right now now maybe it is maybe you know we're overrating you know what these guys can do together and maybe a trade can be engineered to make it more synergistic but i happen to think that this is a happy team with a very interesting set pecking order. I think the priority is to keep Pat Beverly around for precisely that reason for another two or three years, which means that they're going to have to, you know, they don't have his salary that they can pivot off of. I do think that they should pivot off of Torian Prince's salary. He's got a 13 million expiring. And if you can make something work with that, that's great. I wouldn't mind losing a draft pick or two, although probably not for, you know, it would have to be something worthwhile. But the point is what is happening now is gelling in the locker room is gelling on the court. It is the beginning of a track or a record for a coach. That is an impressive first step, second step, whatever you want to call it. Um, and well, let's remember, too, that while he was taking that first step next season or last season, sorry, was when the trade deadline hit as well, because Finch had what right, about right. a month and a half before the trade deadline. And the Wolves did not make any moves at because at the they deadline. wanted to see what they had, which was Rosas's view and, and, and probably contributed to some of what you're talking about right now, right, right, which right. is continuity, which is guys liking. You got to know each other to like each other. Right. And they got to know each other, I think, at the end of last season, added a couple of pieces in a Torian Prince um, and a few others that I think have just naturally sort of fit culturally um, right. with the group. But right. I do think it's. It's important to note that doing nothing can sometimes and has sometimes not just with the Timberwolves, but other teams proven to be, be the best move in this time where we want and continuity is important right we crave a trade and i mean i'm i know you see it on twitter and emails and stuff like that too i i get simmons for beasley mcdaniels and two firsts you know i mean and and so what i will acknowledge is that this team gets beaten up and they can be they can be schooled physically and i don't think you can fix that with the with the status quo of this roster, but I also don't think you can fix it with a trade. I I, I think that that is a bigger gamble uh, than I want to take at this point. You also can't get bigger and more physical without somewhat neutering Jared Vanderbilt, which has been one of the you know the great successes of the season, and right. you you can't get bigger and more physical without removing Nas Reed from the rotation altogether and basically giving up on him. Because if you do trade for a big, 
not I mean, look at last night. Nas played Nas played six, six minutes. minutes right. And and Finch, because he needed physicality, um, you know, didn't go back to didn't Nas. Have, and, didn't have faith in it, right. Right. So well, why why Nate Knight stayed on the bench? I don't know, but maybe <laughs> Finch didn't want to send that message to Nas. I don't know. Right. I yeah, no, I mean, there, there, there could be that. I just, I think it's interesting. Probably more interesting from from the band Vando standpoint of. Yeah, I agree, and that is actually a point I probably should have made more concrete in my column. I did quote Rob Mahoney of the Ringer at some length because I really admire that article. I, I think that uh, that was an outside writer coming in and framing things in a way that. I knew intuitively, but had not locked in myself. And I, I, one, wanted to give him credit for that. And two, it furthered my own thinking in a certain direction. And I wanted to give him credit for spurring that thinking. So um, it, it's linked in the, in the column. If, if folks want to read it, I think it's worth reading. Well, it, what I think was interesting about Rob's article, and again, this came out like a December month ago. 17th. Yeah, al- yeah. Almost a month ago. Uh, where he the the lead of the article or the title at least was talk was was talking about how the wolves have the best starting lineup in the league and which obviously that is that has come to be a real talking point just in general when the when the wolves right, come up right. that might have been some of the media hype that cat was talking about that's all i can really think of um but what i liked about rob's piece was a was a healthy amount of skepticism uh yes wrapped into highlighting a discernible positive and and as you highlighted in your piece um what what was the line where where it was when your identity is is shaped not by what your best players do best that's kind of a rebuilding becomes uh trickier becomes Mm -hmm. uh complicated i think you said yeah which is accurate i mean that's what we're talking about here and and the sentence after that uh, which i almost used but he says it becomes really complicated when uh, your player is somebody who, you know, can't grow or, you know, you it's a one-way guy. Mm-hmm. Now, that has proven to be false because Vando has grown. Uh, how much he has grown, sure. you know, remains to be seen. <clears throat> but, excuse me, um, I do think that, anyway, I think it's a good story. I do think it offers some justification that the line I also really liked was after Jimmy Butler, he said, you know, this team wants the want for progress is leavened by the need for something real mm-hmm. and stable. You know, we don't want the sugar high of getting guys who could really do something for a year and then get sick of it, mm-hmm. which is a pretty good argument against Ben Simmons. Um, I think that, leads into the thing I want to kind of close on, which is as we get to the trade deadline and the role that ownership, specifically new ownership might play go. Right. in, right. in this, in this deadline and turns in the punch bowl. <laughs> well, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe they're just ice. Right, cubes. Right, I, right. I, I can't tell. Right. <laughs> um, but I think, we both have been able to glean that there is going to be a desire for splash with this new ownership group, which in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think um, that installed in the right ways in this organization can right. can lead to something that they've never really been able to find 
with Glenn Taylor, but you want you just wonder about a new owner at the first opportunity, really, since they've bought this team to shake it up um, and and how much influence they're going to have or try to have on, you know, on, on, on making change on this team. So Ben Simmons would be splashy, right? And and other other things at the deadline or this offseason would be splashy. Yep. And they certainly could be so splashy that they they cause a wave that throws off some of the things that you've been talking about here that you like so much about this team. So I'm just I'm just really fascinated to see how Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez influence this trade deadline and two how Sasha Gupta who I think is sort of on the other side of the spectrum probably right. leaning more conservative anti-splash right. Um, right how those things sort of line up together I mean this is going to be our first real time to be like I mean it, right now the biggest move Sasha Gupta's made is signing Greg Monroe to a 10-day contract like things things are about to really ramp up here in terms of right. roster decisions and that was a 1-0 value over replacement player because <laughs> he won the Boston game. Your one-night stand. <laughs> exactly. So I agree that I didn't even want to think about the Laurie Arod factor because, uh, you know, I would rather Mark Laurie go build his mythical city someplace and, uh, you know, and, and Arod reminisce about, you know, uh, the days when he's, you know, off steroids. So, but the point being that leave the basketball stuff to the basketball players and the basketball coaches, you have some very good ones and concentrate on the quote unquote fan experience. If you got to get your hands dirty. Um, sure. You know, Mark Laurie has very loudly proclaimed that, he, he never played the game before he, you know, bought it. And not that I ever played the game above like, you know, ninth grade, but I do think that you, you can't presume to get involved. A splash, as you point out, creates waves mm -hmm. and you can surf those waves or you can drown on those waves. It depends on which, which direction they go. And, 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 how well they're calibrated. I want Sasha Gupta's care, Chris Finch's expertise, and a explanation of the market if and when they do make a big trade, because I think it's fraught, obviously. Uh, again, I think that getting a guy who can be a piece in the front court, can be a rich man's Nate Knight, you know, somebody who is like maybe 28 years old and is, uh, you know, I, I don't have a comp sure. right now, but somebody who could uh, come in for Vando, take the, the McDaniels power forward minutes and leave McDaniels at the three. Um, that's what I want out of that Torian Prince position. Which wouldn't be splashy. No, wouldn't be splashy at all. I don't want splash because... It's a fun season. It is a fun season. And I understand that to the casual fan, it's not that fun. 
They're 20 and 21. They're 11th in defense. They're 18th in offense. Uh, what, what's so fun? But, you know, diehard Wolves fans understand what's different about the season. And unfortunately, those dollars are already being captured by the owners. And what they want now is the guy that says, Ben Simmons, let's go get season tickets. So right before we started recording, uh, John Krasinski and Sham Sharania uh, put out tweets. And I think now there's a subsequent story that I, I haven't yet read because uh, we've been recording. But the tweet and the story they put out is about the Wolves hiring Marquise Watts to be the chief experience officer for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And <clears throat> most people don't know who Marquise is and all this and that, but the reason... Well, what an experience officer is. Exactly. <laughs> but there's a reason that a story is being written about this and it's even yeah. being reported. And it's that this hiring is not just throwing a pebble into the water. This could be something towards a splash where the Wolves are in a... For a couple of reasons. The Wolves are in a unique spot where they have a functionally interim... Uh, general manager running their team. And they have a business side of the operation that also could could be facing change coming up, given that there's new ownership, right? And one of the biggest questions I've had this season as I've thought about that predicament is, okay, Mark Laurie has to retool the basketball operations, or has to decide who's going to run the basketball operations of this organization. And and then also, he has a business background. You have to wonder how he's going to want to retool the business side of this organization. So my huge question has been, who is Mark Laurie talking to to make decisions on the basketball and business sides of this organization? And Marquise Watts is one of, if not that guy. And that is a critical role. In, in the future of this team. I don't know if it's exclusively going to be Marquise, but he's going to have some influence in that. And that's important because who runs the basketball operations of this team is going to de determine its future. And who runs the business of this team is going to play a big role in the future of this team. And we're coming up at an important time of this team with an aging stadium that just a franchise that is on the verge of change, maybe positive change, probably positive change in the context of what they've been. So I don't think this Marquise Watts hiring should be viewed as a pebble being thrown into the water. I think he is going to be a critical figure in the future of who the Minnesota Timberwolves are. And ironically, for me, Marquise was my basketball coach in high school. <laughs> I played for him for two years. And I played AAU for him for two years. So I'm in this really weird place where I'm like, there's this random sort of consultant vacancy in this team that I cover. And it has been filled, I think, by my high school basketball coach, which is just yeah. really weird. Weirdest team ever. On the other hand, better than not knowing them at all. You know, I suppose I mean, so. I, I, I think that... Uh, well, I mean, I think that you have the, developed a relationship with Sasha and Gupta, for example. Um, I think that your knowledge and the way you think as a GM uh, is 
something, your knowledge of the salary cap, your knowledge of the X's and O's, all of those things uh, lend itself to your ability to speak on the level with the folks who are of, you know, that's their primary thing, you know? And so I, I think it can't help but inform your reporting to, to have that. Sure. Mark Laurie knows who you are. Sasha obviously knows who you are. And I'm sure that Marquise knows who you are above and beyond a former kid he used to coach. So, you know, it, it's going to be good things. It'll inform your podcasts and, and uh, your tweets. And so I think it's a good thing. It's interesting with Marquise's background. Um, right now he's working or has been working for Clutch Sports and he is. That's a dirty word, right? I mean, for most people. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that whole world is sort of what it is. Um, Marquise's right. role with Clutch has been working with individual players sort of as a a handler. And one of his clients has been Anthony Edwards. So there's that that track record he has there. He's also with Trey Young. That makes it a smart hire already. That exactly. It goes in that in that sort of direction where you go, well, all right, connect these dots. Marquise Watts also previously worked for Adidas, where he was Ben Simmons's handler and worked directly uh-huh. with Ben Simmons there. So I don't know if those are dots that connect, but I know that those are two dots. Um, you can right. you can see and in, in Ben least, Simmons's documentary, Marquise. It's, it's, it's an avenue, and it's an avenue of taking Ben Simmons' pulse. I mean, one of the possibilities mm-hmm. I just laid out a few minutes ago was: Would Ben Simmons be uh, petulant mm-hmm. about coming here? Would he say, you know, hey, right? I mean, you put me on the a frozen tundra with a team that has made the playoffs once in eighteen years. No thanks. Well, um, chief experience officer, in theory, is would, telling you that the experience would, would be better than you might think. Right? Or at the very least, would be able to make his pitch and then report back that Ben Simmons is, in fact, no way, no how, you know, <laughs> right. which is really valuable information before mm-hmm. you try to go. Get For sure. Him. For sure. I, I just think and I don't know, we're going to see what all plays out here. But if splashing happens. in in the next month or the next year, <laughs> I'm going to remember right. this pebble that John and Shams just threw that it's something, right. you know, I've been hearing about since the summer when Mark Laurie and Marquise Watts met each other um, that, you know, this is a this is a guy who could be a, you know, a critical figure going forward with this team and whatever moves small or large going forward, he is a chief level position on this team and will have influence in that. And one of the outstanding questions I might have is to what extent does the chief experience officer dealing with the business side of things have input into basketball decisions? Right. And I don't I don't know the answer to that. I'm no, not I sure. know. We I, don't know that. I'm not sure they do yet either, because no, there's I, I all know, these but, different spheres happening here where yeah, there's the yeah, ownership, yeah. there's the basketball right. operations, there's the business operations. But my antenna goes up when I think about that. Because that's one of the dangers. That's one of the the the, the reservations <laughs> I have over these new owners without knowing them. You know, I'll be just right up front about that. This is just instinct more than any kind of knowledge talking. But I think guys on the level of Lori and Arod, high, high achievers in other realms 
with a, a very high opinion of the impact they can make versus the impact they might really be able to make are a potential recipe for chemistry failures. Um, and so, again, I'll, I'll repeat what I said before. I want the basketball people making the basketball decisions. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it blurred to the point where a quasi-basketball person, like your former coach, perhaps, is is even more dominant than the interim general manager right. in making a basketball decision. I think that's the fear. I I don't think we know that is. is no, we don't know. I, I have no idea. Right. But I, you know, we know the history of NBA front offices and teams, and we know and the history that, of ownership, um, man, of like new ownership all, in you know, all cross sports normally gets in, and and has. I, I was talking to to one executive from another team when when all the the new ownership thing was going down and the way they put it to me they go the best owners in sports are the ones who take their fingers out of the pie most teams new ownership always start the first few years and they have their fingers in the pie and they they get in the way and they make mistakes the best ones are the ones who realize that was a mistake and take it out that was what a assistant gm on another team said to me and you know, I have been of the mind with with the new ownership that even if there's some risk of that, that ultimately a change in ownership is is a positive team for a positive thing for this team and this organization, given that they've given just, the status quo. Yes, right? given given right. the status quo. I'm fascinated, fascinated to see what impact the new ownership group does have because I think the stakes are so high given the status of this organization, the status of Target Center, all of those things. Like what happens in, in the next five years, maybe less than that, will determine the future of this franchise. And those are really high stakes. I would prefer that they, they concentrate on blackmailing the city or the state for a new stadium myself. There's a new arena. You know, I think I think that's I don't know blackmailing, but it's obviously on the agenda. But, you know, right. It, it's just it's. It's really it's really interesting. Um, the basketball is really interesting, and I think that's both of our our main focuses. But there has been this this constant behind the scenes dynamic of change happening, not good or bad, but but change happening by bringing in a new ownership group. and. Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a cool story. It's going to be an interesting. And the more you know, I don't have the front office connections that you have for the most part. You know, to Glenn and I were, you know, I was his go to interview before Krasinski showed up. Um, and so there is some of that. And I do have some sources, you know, scattered around the league, but I don't work hard to continue them or cultivate them. Um but I have had experience with uh, players I used to cover that went on to bigger things, you know, higher up, whether it's coach or GM, or assistant GM or whatever. And I have in particular like secondhand information of people who are very close to those people who just talked to me off the record about it, which is all to say that I have a wealth of detail about how complicated it is 
to simply yes. do what you want. Simply do what you want. You have an idea of what you want to do. And the normal schmoes like you and me before we, you know, got enmeshed in all this would just say, hey, he wants to make this move. Well, you know, good luck with that. There's like, maybe there's a clause in the contract. There's an agent who's saying, well, wait a minute now. And there's an entourage guy or somebody's wife, or there's a guy who that's going to affect whose agent has another client or totally, there's a, a, totally. a, a sponsor or, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's like a million things right. that could screw it up, you know, and, and someone would go, why didn't you make that deal? It was such an obvious thing. And if the person told you why it didn't happen, you'd tear your hair out. <laughs> <laughs> you really would. It, it, uh, it all, it all leads up to, uh, an interesting, you know, <laughs> setting to be to be entering trade season here for, with this team right. and those. We don't know what the specific loops that or that Sasha Gupta has to to jump through with this right. team, but uh, the context of some of that stuff normally comes out after the fact or months or years right. after the right. fact of like, yeah, we wanted to do this, but we couldn't because of X, Y, and Z, or we didn't want to do this, but we had to do it because of X, Y, and Z. So. When I say fascinating, that's that's what I mean is even for us on the surface, it's going to be fascinating. And, and which is why I laugh. I just chortle at these trade scenarios that get thrown out there on Twitter and everybody's taking them seriously. It's like, believe me, that's like the seventh level lie that you're getting. You're getting, you know, you're getting the, 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 the fake on the fake on the fake on the fake so that somebody could do something, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. It's that's 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 how it works. Uh, and and we will be toiling in that for for the, for the next month. <laughs> well, that's why I laugh at it. I yeah. mean, it's it's so much easier. Mm -hmm. it, it will be. And, and I'm sure we'll talk again closer to the deadline. That uh, about making moves, there are interesting basketball things as we were just kind of talking yes. about the front court. And I, on that level, it's fun to imagine exactly. whether or not it's possible. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So we'll, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there for today. This is, <laughs> this is where we are at the halfway point of the season. Um, having fun, as, as you said, uh, exceeding expectations by some degree, some, some crazy differences in what we anticipated happening, actually playing out. And, and now here we are with a critical three to next six months for, for the future of the franchise. So it's, uh, it's going to it's going to remain interesting and we'll keep talking about it. Sounds good. All right. He's Britt Robson. Read his column at Min Post that uh, posted this afternoon. Uh, the Wolves play in Memphis on on Thursday night. I'll be at that game and then back Sunday night. I'll see you again, Britt, uh, for the Warriors. Sounds good. All right. He's Britt. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. I'll talk to you after that Grizzlies game. Until then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.